Hello, I'm Carrie. I'm Moses. And I'm Ryan. Welcome to the Meadowcast. Today on our podcast, we're talking with Jesse Reeser Rempel, one of the founders of Pastors in Exile, or PI. We're going to learn a bit about their ministry and have a conversation about young people in the church. Why are many young people leaving the church? What are young people searching for? And what is our role in reaching out to those beyond our church walls? Thanks for joining us. So today we have Jesse on our podcast today, who's deeply involved in pastoral ministry that's focused on young people, on young adults. And so Moses and Ryan, it's good to be together again after a bit of a hiatus. Uh, It's been a busy summer for all three of us. (laughs) But um, I'm wondering, how are your churches experiencing young adults within the church? Are they engaged? Are they absent? What's what's going on there for you? Yeah, you know, I I was um, thinking about this a bit in preparation for the interview because young people in church is something that comes up so often. And, you know, I wondered if the issues that we are dealing with are kind of new to our time or if it's something that has just always been. Because I feel like whenever we're talking about young people, and I'm not really that old, you know, I want to consider myself still a young person, but I know I'm not in, like, I'm not in my 20s anymore, right? Uh, but I feel like there's always been this tendency for older generations to kind of look at young people and ask questions like, oh, what what's going on with this generation? And they're just not, their head's not in the right space, or they're not hardworking, or they're not this, or they're not that. Um, and so I wonder if that's a bit of myself too, because I would say when I look at young people, I'm like, yeah, where, where are they? Why aren't they as engaged? And I have those kind of same questions. And then I wonder, well, maybe that's just because I'm getting older. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Um, but I, I would describe our young people who are in church as very involved and engaged. Yeah, I would say the same for, for our context here. Um, the numbers certainly are, are few, certainly fewer than um, when I was a young adult. Um, there, there definitely seems to be, I mean, the, the general trends are reflected in our church. There aren't that many, but, the, but those who are there like you said, Moses, are they seem to be very engaged. They seem to be um, mm-hmm. asking good and hard questions. Um, they seem they seem really craving community and connection acro- across generations, which I find encouraging. Mm-hmm. In many ways, our church would be stereotypical. We, we don't have a ton of them, but the ones who are there are are vital members of our community and um, are valued. Uh, for the, for who they are and for the gifts that they bring to our collective body. You know, one question mm-hmm. that I'm maybe Jesse's going to have some answers for us, but one of the questions I wonder is whether or not those people who remain in the church are there because they are they were so engaged or were invited in to be involved, and that's why they're there, um, or if it's kind of a reverse thing, you know, that they're um, involved because they were there. And, you know, if only, you know, if only we get every young person involved in some part of the church then they're all going to stay, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> it just it just does seem that way that those young people who are there um, are involved in in some part of the church life. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's an interesting point, Moses, like because what we find is we have like what's very classic, I think, is a drop off in between youth group and young adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're super engaged and then they drop off even if they haven't left our city. And so for us, that doesn't ring true that if they're engaged, Mm. they'll stay engaged. Um, This is one of the great mysteries. I think many a person in youth and young adult ministry is trying to figure out like, how do we 
make sure there is no fall off cliff there. There's just a continuation of, of care for the church. But I think the church needs to look at itself. Like why, why don't young people want to be a part of us? Like what, Mm. what is going on that we are not attractive? We are one of the few institutions in society where you can have intergenerational relationships, right? That aren't governed by being a coworker or some other kind of power differential. Like it's just community. So that's really beautiful. And how do we, yeah. How do we bring that to people? Mm -hmm. Show them that it's worth being a part of church. And another trend that I've noticed maybe just because I've been around a bit longer, but um, that drop-off that you speak of is real. Uh, but I've, I've seen some people come back in their 30s, in their 40s, and ironically often because they want their kids to experience some of what they had. Mm-hmm. So you'll, mm-hmm. you'll hear of, I, I've encountered parents, new parents come back and, and they want their kids to have some of that love and support and connection and faith. Um, yeah. Um, that that they that was a formative part of their experience as children. So there, part of it's just de- a developmental thing. Like there's a exploratory kind of almost I wouldn't want to say necessary, but entirely logical and understandable period between like late teens, mid to late twenties, where people are more transient. They're uh, more they're exploring their beliefs, yeah. um, and then. Sometimes that comes back around and, and they come to appreciate what they had and they want that for their children as well. Do you find, Ryan, that those people who will come back as young parents stick around even after their kids are grown up? <laughs> I've seen both. I've, I've seen people, yeah, it's all over the place. And it's kind of risky to speak of entire demographics generally because every story is unique um, and, every, and every family is unique. But um, mm-hmm. I've certainly seen both where it's kind of a temporary thing and then they're off again. But... Um, mm. I take her, I take some some encouragement from the fact that they w- parents see something of value in there, and, and maybe having kids kind of forces that the, the, them to ask that question again of well, what actually do I want for for my kids? So Moses and Ryan, when you were a young adult, how did you find being in the church or being a part of the church, or or were you even around the church at that time in your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I grew up very much in the church and part of the church and the church was part of me. Um, and I distinctly remember becoming a teenager and all of a sudden being invited into different parts of the church that I'd never been in before to be like involved and to start leading like, um, you know, with, with music, for example, I think I learned to play guitar when I was, 14, 15, something like that. And all of a sudden, you know, they wanted me to come play on Sunday mornings. And uh, I wasn't good, but, (laughs) you know, they wanted me engaged. Uh, And then in our youth group, all of a sudden, I was invited to start help with the planning and and kind of leading our youth events and retreats and things like that. Um, And then all of a sudden I was invited to preach one Sunday. Uh, And I I look back on that. It was, it was probably, it was probably the worst sermon ever, but you know, I, I was a young person (laughs) who was just interested in faith and loved the church community and had no questions about whether or not I belonged there because, you know, it just always seemed like they wanted me to be part of the church. Ryan, what about you? My experience was very similar. Um, I think um, I was just—it was just a part of my life, and and I, and I had a 
there was a there was a, a solid sized youth group and young adult group when I was when I was in the church, and I, I think I've only come to appreciate the importance of that as I've gotten older, and especially as I've watched my own kids enter that same stage of life um, where they don't have that, um, where they're mm. where they're a very tiny minority in in, in our church. Um, and so seeing seeing just the value of the social connections and the and the I mean some of my friends that I have today I met when I was a young adult in, in churchy institutional contexts. They've been friends for decades. Um, and that's and I, I don't see that same those same uh, uh, relationships forming for my kids, which which I, I grieve in some ways, that those 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 structures don't exist in the same ways anymore. Or else they have to be sought out in different ways, as we're probably gonna talk about with Jesse. Um, but um, no, I was I was glad to be a part of it. I was aware of that there was an institution that was bigger than myself that preceded me, that would go beyond me, and that I could also play some role in um, in speaking into as well. I didn't I didn't take everything they said. I had my questions and I had my doubts and I had my irritations with the church for sure. Um, and I spoke about it in ignorant ways in hindsight, but. Um, <laughs> But, but, but you, you strike me as someone who would step up in a congregational meeting and just, you know, hold up your letter of this is what I, I'm mad about. No, I, I wouldn't do that. I was more of a back channeler. But uh, uh, but I but it was just it was just a given. It was a given in my life. And, and mm-hmm. I've I've only come to appreciate later how much how important and, and how that's changed in, in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I spent my young adult years away from home, like. I uh, grew up in Ontario, but then I went to school in Winnipeg. Um, and so even though I wanted to be a pastor at that time, even though faith and church was really important to me, it was really difficult to plug into a local congregation. Mm. Um, tried out many. They just they didn't have that welcoming feel, didn't feel like people were reaching out or interested in having myself or the people I was trying to look for churches with a part of them. And so we just kind of gave up and let university, our Christian university, be our our church and in hindsight I wish it had been different mm. but it just was what it was um, and so I think now to my role as someone who works in young adult ministry and thinking of um, young college and university students coming to our church on a Sunday morning and being like hey what if I was then like what would I need to feel welcome or to feel like I could make a place for myself here and so we've done some work around that but I mean it keeps me up at night what more can we do mm. how can we better better welcome people because I think even if people are finding faith other places there is also something that we can offer them too Mm. and so on that note I wonder if we should bring Jesse in here with us Um, Jesse is uh, one of the pastors from Pastors in Exile which is a progressive and affirming community-based ministry that seeks to empower young adults as they explore and deepen the spiritual meaning of their lives world work and activism at Pi, young adults come together to live out Jesus' teachings of radical love, peace building, and social justice, and to care for the earth God loves. Inspired by the Anabaptist Mennonite faith tradition, Pi brings together young adults from many denominations and spiritualities, as well as those who are in a place of questioning their spiritual identity. Jesse, who's here with us, is passionate about nurturing community, extending radical hospitality, and seeking out sacred moments in the midst of the mundane. She and her partner, Stephen Reeser Rempel, and their daughters, Anna and Stella, live in Midtown Kitchener. Sterling Avenue Midnight Church is their spiritual home. So Jesse, welcome here today. It's awesome to have you here with us, and we're really looking forward 
uh, to diving into some of the work that you do and learning from you and, and all that you have been doing and have been up to. And so I think to start off, we just love to hear how did Pi begin? Like, how did this start? Pi started back in, in 2014. The seeds of it were planted. I don't, I don't really identify as a young adult now. I, I heard you, Moses, kind of questioning, like, I guess I'm still pretty young and I'm, I'm there yeah. too. I'm in, I'm in my mid-30s and I'm kind of like, in some, I walk into some rooms and, and people still really see me as a young adult, but in my heart of hearts... I, I don't, I don't identify as that anymore. Like I, I think when I think about young adults, it's, it's more about maybe like a, in some ways a transient life stage, um, than it is about a defined age category. So, but I started Pi, uh, with my friend Chris Burgess when we both definitely identified as, I was going to say disenfranchised young adults, but we were, we were like both very involved in our own home churches, um, we just saw our peers around us feeling disenfranchised, feeling like um, they didn't quite belong. And for myself, for myself, I think I felt um, tokenized in some ways because I was really involved in church. People, I, I had a church leader uh, once ask me to speak at a conference or something, and uh, I distinctly remember they said, "You're young and a woman." <laughs> would you speak in you check the boxes they, they, oh geez they literally yeah they literally pulled me aside and said you're young and a woman and that's sort of the missing gap that we need to speak here and I I think I agreed to it and and then I, and then adding to that they wanted me to sort of speak on behalf of all young adults mm. um and I agreed to it but I think then I like stepped aside into a washroom and like cried because I, oh. I just felt so um just so tokenized right like all this this per we, we all do that where we're looking for people to be involved um in the things we're doing in church and of course we want to have people that represent different diverse parts of the population but I think like something I'm trying so hard to do is as I invite people um to be part of what I'm doing is they, they could have said we've seen you speak somewhere else and we think you're really gifted or we'd really love to hear from your unique perspective. Um, so anyways, that was sort of one of the formative moments and experiences um, that helps shape sort of the sense of something more is needed. Um, and in terms of, so for my, my friend Chris, who I had, I had uh, gone to um, Grable with, we were, in, we were in residence there together, um, both graduated from the Peace and Conflict Studies program and then had gone on to do um, master's degrees at separate schools with the intention of being pastors in some way. Neither of us knew quite what that meant. We were really noticing that our peers who'd grown up in the church weren't really there anymore and, and were identifying as spiritual people, um, maybe even as Christians, uh, but weren't finding a home in the church and didn't quite know how to connect um, and it was actually Ed Jansen, who's the, the former chaplain at Grable, whose shoes I'm trying to fill right now in an interim <laughs> way. Um, he, he heard us both talk about this and both talk about a desire to be pastors, to serve the church and our passion for our young adult peers. And he actually brought us together and said, hey, you're both thinking about this. And he certainly saw the gap as well. Um, I, I, he did not ever dream that this would turn into a, a nonprofit organization, but uh, oh. but Chris and I started meeting every week, and really we met with so many different mentors. We went out for coffee with 
dozens of young adults and just said, hey, what are you thinking and what are you noticing and what are you needing? Um, and out of that, we had the you know, seemingly ridiculous idea that we should form a charitable organization. Uh, I, I remember someone kind of warning me against it and saying like, oh yeah, this is really important work, but you should just like, like slot in with a bigger organization. You're going to spend all your time, you know, doing nonprofit administration, but we did not listen to that. And other, <laughs> other people <laughs> seemed to think it was a, a reasonable idea. And, and so we, we brought together a board of directors, um, and started doing this work in, in the, like the first year we weren't paid, we were just doing it. Um, and then we got some very generous startup money from um, Mennonite Church Eastern Canada um, over the first five years of our existence that we, we right away had to be fundraising, um, but it, it gave us a little bit to get started on so that we didn't spend all of our time fundraising as we were starting up this, this organization. Um, we had a spot in the incubator program uh, at the Kindred Center for Peace Advancement at Grable. And, uh-huh. and that was really helpful as well and helped us to see ourselves as a startup, um, as these pastors that were, we were, we were taught and educated about what it looked like to be a pastor in a church, but um, it was really helpful to think of ourselves as a startup as well. Uh, and then we just started doing it. We were, we were leading groups and hosting potlucks in our homes and all the while, you know, figuring things out and realizing, okay, we need insurance. We need, you know, all these, all these things that you, that you realize on the go, we need a lawyer, we need every, um, all these things. So yeah, that's, that's a roundabout way of how oh. we started. <laughs> why, why, uh, exile? That's a great question. My uncle posted something. My cool uncle posted. I have lots of uncles. I don't know why I'm stating my cool one. One of my many cool uncles uh, posted something on Facebook a year or so ago and was like, I don't even think he knows the name of my organization, but it was like, we should stop naming our Christian things exile. Like there are real, you know, people experiencing persecution and exile. Um, and that really gave me pause. I, I, yeah. Anyways, I, I, all that to say, we really are thinking about the name and um, how it fits us today. The thing I should have started with saying is that the name Exile comes from uh, our inspiration in Jeremiah uh, 29, thinking about the, the people, the Israelites being in uh, exile, in this exile space. Mm-hmm. They're, in, they're in Babylon. Um, and Jeremiah writes this letter to say, plant trees, invest, get comfortable. You're going to be here for the long haul. Don't spend all your time thinking about what's next. So when we named it Pastors in Exile, Pi, I think we were being kind of cheeky and like, ooh, Pi is kind of a Mennonite yeah. thing. But, um, <laughs> but mostly we were thinking about what it meant that we saw the whole church. This is very lofty of us as this tiny organization working with young adults. We saw the whole church as being in a place of exile, not just the Mennonite church, but the church more broadly. And so we were kind of like, what would it look like to be pastors in that liminal space? What would it look like to really invest here um, outside of the church, but bridging into the church? Uh, And we were just really excited about that vision. And Jesse, what what is Pi doing that the traditional church has been able to do? Or like, I, I'm assuming there are things they've been able to do that the traditional church can't do, but if you could share that with us. It's interesting to see how Pi has developed over time. I think 
what we have come to be um, over the eight years of our existence is somewhere that's always looking for those gaps and those niches and being like, oh, what what topics does the church not want to touch? We're going to go there. Um, and most of what we do now has sprung out of young adults who've come to us and said, we need a space. Like our, our Queerly Christian group, for example, came from young adults who came to Pi and said, we need a space to celebrate our queer and Christian identities. Can we work with you to make this happen? Um, or some of our climate action work came from other young adults who said, we've had this, this experience um, it was it was Josh and Laura Enns who'd come back from time spent in Iona and they were really passionate about about environmental justice and Christian faith and um, brought it back and said, could we start a book study um, sponsored by Pi? And then it grew from there. So um, basically, we're, we we're trying to sort of fill the gap and be like, what are some of the things the normal the, the, the normal church, the institutional church um isn't touching and let's go there. And it's not that no churches are touching those things. Um, Pi, I like to explain it has been a vitamin supplement to the traditional church. So Mm. we actually have lots of young adults who are involved in uh, an institutional church on Sunday mornings. We never do anything at Pi on a Sunday morning. And then they're coming to us on a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Sunday afternoon and, and meeting that particular need of saying, yeah, I want to stay involved in my church, but I need to also be somewhere that's really taking the climate crisis seriously or that's helping me to unpack my goals of being anti-racist or whatever it is. And then when it works really well, uh, they're taking some of what they're experiencing at Pi back into their home congregation, and it really can be a bridge that way. Um, yeah, we have other young adults who are with us because they're not ready to be back in traditional church. Um, That would often be people who grew up in a more evangelical context, uh, some of whom have been very wounded by a church they grew up in in terms of the church's views towards women or the church's views towards um, LGBTQ community. And they still identify often as Christian or at least as very spiritual people who are looking to unpack what they grew up with and um, who want a place for ritual, for community, for worship that doesn't look anything like what they grew up with. Um, something very unique that we offer that I don't, I don't talk about too much. So here's your, here's your sneak peek insight <laughs> into this. All right. I'm thinking about this because we were talking about this at a recent board meeting and I realized even our board didn't know that this is something that, that we do is sometimes we help people leave the church, um, mm. which is, it feels kind of scandalous to say that, but sometimes the work that we do is walking alongside someone who's been, maybe they've been very wounded or, or they've just come to a place where they say, I'm not Christian anymore. I don't, I don't believe this anymore. Um, and it's not like that's our goal, but when somebody comes to that point, there's no, there's no point in sort of just like pushing them harder and, and being like, well, if you just tried a little harder, um, maybe you would believe again. So sometimes what we're doing is helping people be at peace and saying, yeah, at least for now, at least in this time and space, it's okay if you leave. Like you go with our blessing, do what you need to do, um, explore what you need to explore. And, and maybe those people will be back. Like I, I think 
what you talked about is really intriguing. Um, and I, I hear this a lot that people come back when they're in their thirties or forties and bring their kids. Um, maybe they'll never be back, but I think that's also a unique role we play is sometimes helping people find the exit when they need one and maybe have felt too much guilt over the years to find it for themselves. Other times, um, and this is, this is maybe like a little bit more, I don't know, like this is easier. It's easier to fundraise for the second thing I'm going to say than for the like, sometimes we help you leave the church thing. But, Give us money to take the people away. Yeah, yeah. Other times what we do is uh, for people who grew up in a really... I'm not trying to harp on, on being evangelical, but I just don't have good, I don't think any of us have great words to describe what I'm talking about, but who people who grew up in a church where they experienced the church to be wounding to them or somehow oppressive or limiting, um, then they come to Pi, they come to something like feminist Bible study and they say, oh, like they, they might experience for the first time there are other ways to be Christian. I could I can merge my identity as Maybe it's a Christian and a feminist or a Christian and a queer person or all those things, um, which is really beautiful to see. And in that instance, sometimes the next step is supporting somebody to find an intergenerational church community um, that they can be part of. Because our goal is never to have, I, I talked about pie as being a vitamin supplement to the church. Our goal is never to have just sort of this separate church of young adults who just hang out there forever. Um... We, we do our work with people in their 20s and 30s, and our goal is that over time we're supporting people to find new connections, to be part of more intergenerational uh, spaces. And we're kind of excited when I had a conversation with some people the other day who said, yeah, I kind of feel too old for Pi now. And I thought, that's okay. That's great. You're, you're connected in the ways that you need to be and we're not kicking you out. But um, it's beautiful that, that this has been a good space for you. And it's beautiful that you're, you're finding something new that works better as you're, as you're kind of aging out. Jesse, you kind of talked about people questioning their spiritual identity who grew up in the church had an interesting uh, experience over the summer here where we had someone walk in our church who had never been in a church before, a young adult who uh, grew up atheist and was just showed up at our church. And that's the first time that's ever happened. And we don't really know what to do with that. <laughs> uh, like, how is it that Pi is able to help people who are questioning faith or not sure if they have faith anymore um, when, I, I mean, I, I assume, right, like in the end, the goal is to nurture faith within people, right? Like that, uh, that's, I mean, that would be our goal as the church as a whole. Um, so how, how is it that you create that safe space? Because so often in our churches, people feel scared to ask questions or it would be terrifying to, to say, I don't think I believe this anymore. That's just, that's a great question, Moses. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I do not believe that young adults are alone in questioning their faith. I think people, I think people of all ages and in congregations across the theological spectrum um, have huge questions. And I, and I think that's healthy. I think that's beautiful. Um, but creating that space is, it, it's really, it's interesting nuanced work, right? Because we're creating containers. We're saying, right, in our mission statement, we're, we are living out Jesus' teachings, and that's our goal. And we're, we're very explicitly a Christian organization. Um, but at the same time, how do, you, how do you create that 
that boundary without making it be rigid or without making it be a prison. Um, so we hold that loosely as well, that somebody can be in that space and say, yeah, I'm inspired by Jesus, but I don't know if I literally believe in the resurrection. And we're not like, okay, here's the door, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I think people have felt like people, I know people have felt like Pi is a safe space to be themselves and to ask big questions. Um, but I don't know if I have any wisdom about particularly like how have we created that? I, I think for people who've participated in, in Pi groups, retreats, things like that, um, questions have always just been encouraged. It's, it's, it's been what it's all about. Like we, if we're reading the Bible together, then a pastor isn't immediately sort of saying, and let me tell you what this means. The first question is always, what do you notice? What questions do you have? What are you wondering about? And maybe if the pastor is organized on that day, they have also done some research and, uh, and as questions emerge, they might be able to say, you know, some of what's existing in the commentaries, but that's not what we're starting with. Um, questions are always first. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm thinking now as you're talking, I wonder if this kind of a space uh, or just the existence of Pi might be something that the church needs everywhere, where maybe maybe just the institutional church is too threatening for people to have those kinds of questions or conversations. And the fact that Pi exists allows young people in the church to kind of step out of the uh, you know, intimidation <laughs> of the institutionalized church to have some of these conversations. Because, you know, like I think of the university spaces where we've seen a lot of that happening and, and young people kind of forming groups uh, around uh, faith questions or something like that. But we don't have anything like Pi, at least that I know of, in Manitoba. I don't know, Ryan, about you or like, do, do you think in Alberta, you know, each church, you know, your church is a... A safe place where these conversations are happening? I do, actually. I was just about to say that I was going to go to bat for the institutional church here. I mean, every <laughs> every every year between between the end of, uh, well, between Epiphany and Lent, our church devotes all of our sermons to questions that the congregation has, and they can submit them at any point during the year. Oh, and really? I, I, I preach a sermon on one Sunday for every question for Sometimes I have to go past Easter and even into towards Pentecost, but we get we get we get really hard questions and some good ones, and so we we've 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 prioritized that in our preaching, um, just the annual preaching rhythms of our church. I can't speak That's beyond our church, but what yeah. kind of yeah. questions, Ryan? If I could if I could ask a question, yeah. um, <laughs> what kind of questions are people asking you? Oh boy, we get everything from uh, questions about. Um, like like textual questions, like what's going on in this passage? Uh, why didn't the Apocrypha get into the canon of Scripture? Um, questions about what happens in the intermediate state between death and the resurrection. Um, questions about uh, other Gospels and their legitimacy. Uh, Gospel of Thomas, for example. Um, questions about um, how do I know if I'm a Christian or not? It's It's everything from the questions about how to understand the Bible to pretty existential questions and everything everything in between. Do you know who's asking them or is it anonymous? They can be anonymous or they can sign their name to it, either one. Okay. And are, if, if they're signing their name, are you noticing that they're coming from all different age groups? Yep. I've gotten them from, from five-year-olds up to 95-year-olds. Wow. That's yeah. cool. 
Maybe not. Maybe 80, 85. Who gets to choose the answer to these questions? Yeah, this is this is one of the things I've been wondering is, is like, for better or worse, it's often me, not always, um, because I'm the primary, I'm the only pastor here, so we don't have other staff. But um, I, we have a professor of Christianity that worships in our church, um, and so she'll often, she, she takes at least one a year. Um, she has at least for the last few years, and... If there's one, there was there was one about um, some mental health stuff that I outsourced to a, a trusted uh, church member who's a therapist. Um, but more or less, it's 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 often I'd say I, I do about eighty percent of them, for better or worse. I always I, I always I, every year it comes with major caveats that that I'm not answering the questions. I'm 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 responding to them from the from as a as a Christian as a pastor. But I I'm very clear that this is not. Here's the question, and now in 20 minutes, here's the answer. That's just not how it works at all. But and but I have thought that maybe we should extend it to a uh, maybe a discussion period afterwards. It's a really cool um, way of doing it. Mm-hmm. I gotta try that. I know. I, I thought too. I'm like it's, writing it's, this it's, down. Yeah, oh, that's it's a actually, scary, scary door to open there. It's actually it's actually a lot of fun. It's it's probably the time of the year. I mean, the sermons are the hardest by far. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I I work harder on those sermons than any other sermons in the year, but. But it's also the most rewarding because I know exactly that I'm responding to things that are actually where people are at and what they're thinking about. Yeah. This, this is why pastors have to hang out so we can steal each other's ideas. <laughs> and... It's true. I've missed, I've missed that part of COVID. Yes, definitely. <laughs> We're going to pause for a moment in this episode to give away another great resource. Thanks to the Common Word Bookstore and Resource Center. For this episode, we're giving away the book, Home Together, Student Ministry at the Menno Simon Center by Thomas Bergen. This book tells the story of a Christian student residence in Vancouver, British Columbia that has sought to support university students to grow together in their faith. We want to give away this book to someone who likes our Facebook page. So if you want to enter to win, all you need to do is go to at the Menocast on Facebook and like our Facebook page. You will automatically be entered to win, and if you are chosen, then we will message you to send you the book. And of course, we want to thank Common Word once again for sponsoring this resource giveaway and for being just a wonderful place for people of all ages to find resources for faith formation. If you go to commonword.ca, you're going to find so many different resources that you can either buy borrow or download. And did you know that you can actually buy gift cards for somebody at Common Word? If you go to the website or go in person on the campus of Canadian Mennonite University, you can buy a gift card in order to give the gift of Anabaptist resources. This would be a wonderful way to show appreciation to any pastors in your life as October is Pastor Appreciation Month. Now let's get back to our episode. Well, and speaking of COVID, I mean, it's impacted each generation a little bit differently, but I know from my work, it's been interesting with young adults. And so, Jesse, I wonder if you have some things to say about how the pandemic has impacted young people uniquely. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> COVID has, has shaken so many of us up in all kinds of ways. But one thing I'm really observing in young adults that I do spiritual care with right now is just out of COVID, it feels to, to so many young adults like they can't count on or predict anything. And again, it's, I don't want to make big sweeping statements across the board, but I just see this theme come up 
again and again and again. And I'm, I'm really thinking about it because, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk to, uh, a student or something and say, Hey, what are you up to in the fall? And, and they'll sort of be like, well, I applied to do this internship or I'm supposed to go on this trip, but eh, like, who knows? And, and that's just like, that's very striking to me because I think even, you know, 10 years ago, I would have considered myself a young adult, but thinking back farther than that, 15 or 20 as a youth and young adult, I really felt like when something was planned, it was going to happen. Like when I was, Mm. um, when I traveled to Laos to work with MCC as a 19 year old, um, I, you know, I was accepted. I signed a contract I got a visa, it was going to happen. And of course, any, you know, we, even, even in the before times, you know, I could have been sick, something could have changed. But for the vast majority of instances, I think before COVID, most people generally had this understanding that if I plan something, um, it will happen. And I just don't, I don't see that anymore. Um, and I think it's really unmooring, ungrounding for young adults to have to live in this sort of world where where they've been through what was for some people very traumatizing and still is um, COVID. And then there's just no sense of, you know, these times are a bit more stable. Will they last? Will I be able to do what I planned? So um, I just see deep stress and I see that continuing on for young adults. Um, and it, it really saddens me. I don't have easy answers for it yet. Uh, I know that for our work with Pi, there are, there are as many different perspectives on COVID as there are young adults. Um, some people we haven't seen back at our in-person events at all. And I don't know if we will for many years, to be honest. Who, yeah. Um, it, this isn't something to, to say about Pi's sort of attendance level overall, but to to watch those particular people who um, I would have seen as some of our core participants. It's, I I know all churches are experiencing this, right? But there's just some people who haven't come back and it's, um, it's challenging to unpack that. So that's an observation. And then another observation I would make particularly about young adults in COVID, I think it has, I think COVID has affected young adults negatively on average, in a way that it hasn't affected others. Um, well, I, I'll say, I'm, I'm so hesitant to like make, I want to make all these caveats and say, well, except for some. Anyways, I'll just speak about, we have, we have PI participants who are frontline healthcare workers, who are frontline grocery store workers. Um, so it's very much directly impacted them as people who couldn't, like I could just pick up my laptop and take it into my room and hide and do my work and my employment wasn't impacted by COVID in that way. Um, But we have so many frontline workers for whom uh, it really did impact their their livelihood, their well-being, their mental health. Um, People who were newer in their careers that lost jobs um, or just didn't have jobs they could pick up. So for some people in the pie community, uh, COVID has come as a time of financial loss and hardship and food insecurity, which was just really eye-opening to me. And um, just this reminder that COVID has hit different communities so differently. What, Jesse, do you think um, is a helpful response for Pi and then a helpful response for the church 
in the next because it's you know it's been two years of covid let's say two years of recovery <laughs> like what and maybe they're the same right that the response that the church and pie would have but maybe it's different yeah great question at some point in 2020 um we realized based on talking to our participants that the best thing we could do is just start sending care packages to our participants so okay. three or four times Throughout the last few years, we've had people sign up um, and we'll drop it off to their door or mail it to them. And it's it's physical, tangible things like garden seeds and chocolate and tea and invitations to attend online things, but they're getting the physical invitation. Um, that's been a way that, that Pi has sort of come up with as of, of providing real care and nurture to our participants. In, a t- in other times we were like trying to like challenge our participants and we're out there doing like activism work together. And um, COVID has been a season of really just saying, how can we nurture them? How can we love them? I think that is something I have certainly seen churches do. And I think so- something churches can continue to do is when you look at who's not there, um, one way to look at that is to say, I wonder what support and love those people need, which might actually look like uh, some some food security support um, or even as basic as, you know, having a meal dropped off every now and then. Um, that's something that I've experienced as a parent in these times um, of just having food dropped off and saying, here, you probably need this. Like, I think just that sort of tangible support, it, it has been really helpful to me. And I think um, is something that churches can, can check in about and offer, uh, not just come to our service, but like what kinds of tangible support, what kinds of mutual aid do our congregation members need in this time? One of the things that I found during the pandemic was that it was a great window or a I don't want to use the word great about anything about the pandemic, but it was a natural opportunity to to, talk, to zero in on some of the, you know, some of the more existential components of Christian faith. Um, and I know that, that Pi is, uh, you're, you're dealing with everybody, like you said, from people on the on the outside of church and faith and, and kind of just hanging on by the skin of their teeth or not at all to, you know, fairly committed church, church members or, or participants. Um, but boy, a time of destabilization and uncertainty. I mean, I mean, we're not the first people to go through this in the history of the church. Um, but what a natural time to to kind of ask ourselves pretty big questions about where our hope lies and about where our um, security comes from and, and and these kinds of things. That's what I found here, at least. Um, have you noticed anything? Has it crystallized any of those questions in your circles, Jesse? Yes, I really resonate with that. I think. Yeah, I think times of insecurity really help us ask those big questions. Um, what I've noticed is people asking big questions, people who have a new interest in faith and spirituality and a really renewed interest in ritual. Um, we hear that a lot from participants of we want to touch and see and do and experience. And maybe that's coming out of this online uh, world and the pandemic as well, that people have a hunger to to take communion, to light candles. Um, they don't just want to sit and be talked to. Uh, yeah, they want to engage all of their senses. I don't know how we're doing for time here, 
but uh, I have to ask one question as the as the dad of young adults in the group. <laughs> sure. Um, one, one of the questions that I see in our notes here uh, is, what do young adults want from the church? Now, when I when I think back to when I was a young adult, um, I wanted things from the church that now I recognize was wrong or dumb or or like what Ryan? <laughs> oh, I, I can't even think of a good example. Just Hockey just the, it sh- yeah, it should be more entertaining. It should be more. Um, I don't know. There's there's a bunch of things I, I probably expected or wanted from the church that I wasn't getting from the church. Um, and so I wonder how does or does or how does Pi create space for this this realization that the church, while flawed, you know, it might have something to teach us about who we are as human that we don't know at this precise stage of our life. That that there's things that maybe we don't see clearly now that we might see more clearly in the future. Just just some awareness of, um, yeah. I'm, I I just saw that question and I thought. I thought back to my experience as a young adult and I thought, you know, I'm not sure that was the best question for me to be asking then. Or I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't, I want to expand upon that question now, looking back. Does that make sense? I People ask me what young adults want from church a lot. Like if I go speak in a, I mean, understandably so, if I go speak in a congregation or something like that, congregations want want to know what young adults want from the church. And I used to be able to answer this, I think, more articulately when I did identify more as a young adult, that I could sort of say, this is what we want and, and have a lot of sort of passion about that. Um, and, and you asking this question today makes me reflect like, I need to, I need to do a bit, a bit of my own research again and in this new time and go back to, I talk to young adults every day. I need to ask, hey, what, what do you want from the church? Um, I think that would be, that'd be helpful for me. Again, take my own notes here on, on things to do next week. But, um, but I can speak based on, you know, conversations that I've had over the years and in recent times. I think one of the things that that young adults want from church most consistently is consistency, just to give you a, t- a tongue twister there. And, and what I mean by that is a church whose actions and values and mission statement and website matches what they're going to see and experience if they show up on Sunday morning, Um, or if they show up at your house on a Tuesday afternoon. So that a good example is around climate action. If a church is really, you know, they're praying in their, in their service, like we care for the earth and, um, we pray for those everywhere who are caring for the earth. And then they're using styrofoam cups and coffee hour. Um, that's an example, like it's, that's not that it's evil to use styrofoam cups and coffee hour, but that's just an example of something that I've heard from, from young adults is they want to see consistency between what's being taught and preached. If the church is, if the church is preaching, we love everyone. And that's not what they're seeing lived out in the annual meeting. Um, that I don't think that's new to today's young adults. Actually, I think that's young adults all of all time as a developmental stage is, um, a, a passion for justice and consistency and wanting to see what is being taught and preached um, lived out. So I think that's something that young adults from the, want from the church. Um, another thing young adults want, and this is based on my own like anecdotal conversations um, and on research, and if I, if I think about it and find it, I'll, I'll send this to you, but, uh, and you probably all know this, but there's just really good research that young adults who feel most connected to the church are those that are connected intergenerationally, those that have strong intergenerational relationships. So I don't think that young adults, which is, which is ironic as the pie pastor talking when we do this young adult work, 
But when I'm talking about what young adults want from institutional church and why I believe institutional church is really beautiful and why I'm a member and why I'm raising my kids in an institutional church, um, it is that intergenerational, intergenerational relationship piece where there's you know, space for university students to hold babies and um, have grandparents that care about them, even if their grandparents are hundreds of miles away. So I think that's another thing that, that young adults really want from church. Um, I, I could go on and on, right? So feel free to edit this, this question down, but I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about it. Another thing uh, young adults want from church is ownership and the opportunity to take leadership without pressure to be too involved. Mm. Uh, it can be fright. When I, sometimes I do this work of sort of coaching or supporting congregations to be more welcoming places to young adults. And it's always kind of a turnoff. I shouldn't say always. There's that occasional young adult who just cops in and is like, sure, I'll lead music next Sunday. <laughs> but for the most part, um, young adults who show up at a new church for the first time want welcome and hospitality and relationship building before they are ready to like sign up and join a committee or like get a mailbox or have church membership. So occasionally churches can be guilty of seeing a young adult coming and just like swarming. Uh I'm sure you've all seen this happen because we're just so excited and passionate and happy there's a young adult there. So it's that fine balance of, of first building relationships and then moving to a space where you are giving meaningful opportunity for leadership in the church but doing it at a a space that doesn't feel overwhelming at a pace that doesn't feel overwhelming and that takes into consideration what young adult lives look like and people might be balancing school and jobs and young parenthood or many other factors Um, and people might need mentorship and coaching so they might be happy to be the treasurer of church council and they might need some mentorship to do that well and they might leave Churches have to be at peace with that too, that the nature of, you know, young adults is that they're going to come and then they're going to have new opportunities and they might move away to grad school or whatever it's going to be. So um, how do we create leadership opportunities for young adults that don't require like a five-year term? Um, how, do we, how do we say, yeah, sure, be on church council and if you have to leave next year, like that's okay. Um, someone who's doing an amazing job of this is Alyssa Bender at Hamilton Mennonite Church. I think she even has like a, I shouldn't say she, I think Hamilton Mennonite Church has some kind of like temporary membership that is specifically designed for this. Maybe this is just a legend and a myth and we should clarify it. But I'm I'm pretty sure that Hamilton Mennonite Church has a form of temporary membership so you can come and you can be involved and you can vote and you can keep your membership at your home congregation. And if you later decide to become a permanent member, great. And if you move away, that's fine too. Uh, I just, I hear from young adults that have been part of Hamilton Mennonite Church that they felt really welcome there. And Hamilton Mennonite Church kind of like specializes in, hey, this is awesome. You're here for two years or four years and we're gonna love you and we're gonna send you on your way. Hmm. Jesse, there was a second part to Ryan's question there not only of what are young people looking for in the church, but do you think there's a sense that, um, (laughs) Ryan, do you want to ask that again? I don't want to ask it for you. Well, Um, I'll I'll ask a really blunt version of it. Okay, Okay, great. (laughs) 
and you can edit this out. But what if what you want from the church is wrong? Sorry, what if what young adults want from the church is wrong? Is, is there space for saying, you know, what, what, what you want? Maybe you'll, maybe you'll understand things a bit differently down the road, or maybe like just some space for the basic Christian assumption that our wants aren't always right. I think it's great. I think it's great if churches have boundaries and clarity about who they are. And maybe that doesn't seem to answer the question, but I think it does in some way. Like a person can come, a person might come to your church and say, hey, I'm here and I want to be involved. I don't really identify as Christian. And you might say, like, that's great. We're so happy you're here. Um, But you don't have to change your vision statement and say that you're not a Christian church because that person wants that. Um, I think it's beautiful for churches to have a strong sense. Like it doesn't mean that mission and vision statements or whatever can't adjust and adapt over time to reflect who's there. But sometimes churches will bend over backwards to meet the needs of young adults in ways that actually aren't helpful. Like young adults want people, want churches to have a strong sense of who they are. Um, And that's actually attractive to young adults if they walk into a place that's like, yeah, we know who we are and you're welcome here and you're going to influence us, but, but we're on a journey. Um, so come join us a a place where I think I, I, this isn't really answering the question. What if what young adults want is wrong, but I think it is relevant a place where I see this and we haven't talked too much about Pi's um, work with LGBTQ plus community, but that's, that's actually a huge part of what Pi does. It might at this point even be the biggest part about what Pi does. Um, and, and I should say that I, I'm not part of the queer community, but um, several of my Pi pastoral colleagues over the years um, have been and have been really foundational in setting, in setting the path on this ministry. Um, so where it plays out uh, with LGBTQ plus hospitality and welcome and affirmation is that a church is so eager to have a young person join them, maybe even is so eager to have an LGBTQ plus identifying young person join them, that that somebody comes, a young adult comes and says, hey, I want to be here. Are you affirming? And the church is kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah. I think we totally are. Yeah, you should just come. Um, and then the young adult comes and it turns out the church like wants to be welcoming, but really hasn't done their homework about that. Um, I've heard from many young adults who've had that experience and say it would have been way better if the church had just up front said, actually, no, we're not. Or, you know, we would like to be, we're on a journey, we're hoping to get there, but our church isn't there yet. Um, so I think maybe that's an example of where a young adult might come and say, I'm looking for an affirming church. I'm looking for a church to be a certain way. And a church doesn't have to instantly in that moment um, change what it is to meet that young adult's needs. And I think the best thing that a church could do in that moment is actually say, no, we're not, or no, we're not there yet. And here's a church down the road that is there that I think would be a better fit. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking much more. <laughs> uh, the example that came to mind for me was like, when I was when I was a young adult, I, I, I wanted my church to revamp their entire worship style to to incorporate a lot of music that now I look back on and I'm like, I'm very glad they didn't um, be, because it was far more shallow, had way less depth theologically and spiritually and 
you know, I didn't know what I wanted, or I, I thought I did, but what I wanted wasn't, wasn't, <laughs> yeah, just looking back now, I'm, I'm glad they didn't do, do it just what I wanted. Well, and maybe there's, like, that just makes me think, and this isn't, this isn't like a, uh, a new thought, but um, maybe one thing that our churches have to adapt is just being at peace with being more eclectic, mm-hmm. um, by which I mean, I mean, and so many, so many churches are doing this, right, by by being like, hey, I hear, young adult, this song is super meaningful to you and this style of music. So like, why don't, why don't you lead us in that? And it's okay yeah. if we have this service that's going to include like the singing of, I was going to say 606 or 118. I don't even know. Um, but it's okay <laughs> no, it's if it different has, now. It's different now. It's different now in the Voices Together <laughs> hymnal. But it's okay if this, if, this, if this service includes some very traditional music. And yeah. whatever is contemporary at the moment, like that's not really a new revolution, revolutionary thought. But um, I think, well, it might be revolutionary in some contexts of churches who are sort of in this path of the service has to be very cohesive and it has to be yeah. very professional and it has to appear in a certain way. Um, there's a whole movement now of, of messy church, right? And, and mm-hmm. I think there is some wisdom in churches being okay with being more eclectic, more messy. I actually see yeah. a bit more messiness coming out of COVID in traditional churches because we're trying to figure out how to like make things hybrid and then there's just technical errors and then people <laughs> laugh. And that's not like, it's not the best, but it's also not the worst to just sort of, it's, it's a bit humbling, right? To say this yeah. isn't like a professional thing. We're all just volunteers trying to make it happen. Jesse, quick question here uh, for those churches that maybe just struggle with knowing how to engage young people kind of on the edge. How does a church let go of a young person well? That's a beautiful question. And I, so many of your questions have been great that every time you ask one, I just think, oh, that's awesome to think about. How does a church let go of young, a young person well? This is something that we've been thinking about throughout Pi's eight-year history, which is, I mean, there's so many, there's so many nuanced layers to that. I think one thing is how do we let go of our young adults and offer them into the larger Christian community? Um, so rather than, rather than just looking at our own pews and thinking, oh, we don't have any young adults here, um, thinking more about like, where are the young adults more broadly and celebrating anytime a young adult has found a spiritual home that is like nourishing and life-giving to them and where they're still able to connect with their faith. So maybe that's being at peace. It's a little bit like that story I told about saying, hey, we're not affirming in this congregation down the street is. Maybe it's actually being at peace. Well, like, I have so many answers to this question that it's, my mind is flying in all directions. So I'll try to, I'll, I'll slow down and, and take them one at a time. Um, this could look like with your high school students actually doing a tour of other local churches and building those connections and helping people. Young adults have to think, it, it doesn't mean no young adult can ever stay in the congregation where they grew up. But as a spiritual development stage, they have to, at some point, think for themselves, what was my parents' faith? What is mine? What did I grow up with? Where am I going? And so maybe that's something that could be done in youth group is helping people, is not having the assumption that people are going to graduate and stay, actually, but having some sort of a process where we're supporting people to find a spiritual home that is a good fit. And maybe that's just something they're going to do for a year, and then they're going to say, oh, actually, I want to come back. I like... I like Sterling yeah. Mennonite or, or wherever, wherever you are. 
Um, but I, I wonder about things like that. I also, I'm really excited about, this is probably a few years off at Pi, but I would love to start a program for young adults where they're actually paid to go to church. Um, where, so I'm thinking about doing this in the Kitchener Waterloo. I don't know. I don't know how we're going to fund this. This is kind of a far out idea, but, but where they're essentially paid to be involved in church for a year. So it's kind of like a year long internship or something. Maybe it's like eight hours a week so they could stack it on top of being a student. But I think that would be really beautiful. And, and there are some programs like that, like um, the Ministry Inquiry program that has some financial support for students to explore ministry and things like that. But what I'm imagining is different. It doesn't have the goal of you being a minister at the end. It just has the goal of you being involved in a church, learning some skills, and feeling like you have the time to do that um, because it's paid. Is that is that heretical? <laughs> I don't know. But I, I think about this. I think it would be cool. I like it, though. It's outside the box, and what it does is it acknowledges the time constraints and the way our young adults are pulled, right? The way in which they can show up at a church and it's like vultures, like... <laughs> want to join our committee like I honestly had coffee with a young adult the other week an older young adult for sure um who was like it's scary when you go to some of those senior congregations and they're just like Wah! and you're like yeah I'm never gonna come back like that was terrifying um and so yeah how do we do this position of non-anxiety but also encouragement right because like young people can smell anxiety from miles away and they don't want to be around it their lives are anxious enough amen <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Young people do not want to be around fear and anxiety. They don't, they do not want to be told that the church is dying and you're our only hope. And they're both the hope and the reason why it's dying, right? <laughs> That's right. Oh. Well, thanks, Jesse. You're doing such amazing, unique work in the church. We're just so grateful to have, as you say, like this vitamin, vitamin supplement for our young people in our church. So yeah. it's really neat. I, I met Chris probably four years ago or something like that. And ever since I've always wondered like, what is it exactly that Pastors in Exile does or, you know, so this this was very good to, to kind of hear more about it. And uh, yeah, all the best as you continue that ministry. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you today. This was a fun and meaningful conversation for me. Thank you, Jesse. Well, that was so wonderful to talk with Jesse and hear a little bit about Pi and the really unique things that they're doing, the things that they're thinking about, the way in which they're supporting young adults um, from within our denomination and outside, which I think is really beautiful. So Moses and Ryan, I'm wondering what what stood out to you in our conversation today. I like I love that metaphor that she used of, as a of the of Pi as a as a vitamin supplement for the church. Um, this is not an easy time to be a young adult. Um, I think we all know this um, from watching young adults just being observers of our culture. It's just it's just a very difficult time to be coming of age, and I think that that people who are trying to do so with faith, uh, hope, and love need all the help they can get. And so, uh, kudos to, to to that group for uh, for the their efforts toward that end. I think. Yeah, I really like the vitamin supplement as well, just because I'm thinking about it in terms of my youth and adult work. And I often think of camp like that, like Christian summer camp, I often find is really like a boost for our youth's faith and get, getting them to think about God and in a space where school's not conflicting with some of that spiritual development. Um, and so I see Pi kind of as the same thing, like helping us churches um, 
in nurturing young adults. And I wish it was like, it's very compact to the KW area outside of the things that they have online. And yeah, I wish we had more of it across the country. I think I would find it really helpful. Yeah. And get some vitamin supplements for other age groups. I could use some. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for every, every age group needs a vitamin supplement. No doubt. Yeah, no kidding. No kidding. But you know, I think there are, there are lots of, um, spaces. I, I even think of some of our universities and how they try to resource our churches. And, you know, Canadian Mennonite University has this explore program that's, you know, almost like taking a, a mini university course for 55 plus. And they've got all these amazing topics and stuff and speakers that I'd love to be a part of too. But, you know, these things outside of just the church walls that can engage people in more deeper faith and um, experiencing God in community. Like those are wonderful. Um, yeah. I'm glad that, you know, an organization like Pi exists and doing some things that maybe, you know, we as a institutional church might just, I don't know, not, not that we'd be afraid of doing, but we'd just, there's more red tape, right? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. we're also talking about LGBT. BTQ plus um, affirmation or what that looks like in our church, but it, it takes decades. <laughs> you know? right. Whereas a, a group like Pi, maybe they have the freedom just to explore some of these topics and really get moving on climate action and stuff like that without um, feeling like they're being held back. Uh, so I, I think that's an, just a great uh, thing that they're doing. Um, yeah, it's it's certainly a lot more nimble of of a group where you mm-hmm. can you can kind of be processing a lot of these things in real time in ways that the institutional church yeah does the gears grind a bit slower um, for sure. But um, and and I think that that's entirely in keeping with kind of just the it's, it's transient age, uh, lots of stuff up for grabs, and I think this kind of a this kind of an organization can can maybe be a bit more adaptive and, and flexible you know, in ways that fit just the general way of being that many, many young adults have during this stage of life. Do you know, when we talk about transient stage of life, there are things, though, that young people find themselves committed to, even though they're in a transient stage of life. Like, does... I'm curious about, like, what you think it might take or what it took for you to feel committed to the church. Because maybe you could be transient, <laughs> but you're still committed to the church. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're not committed. I mean, That's a question. Yeah. Go ahead, Carrie. I was going to say, I was transient, as I said earlier, as a young adult. Not even transient, just like not at home, not in my home congregation. Yeah. Um, but I definitely felt connected still. I mean, I always looked forward to going to church on Sunday when I was back home. Like I would never make any other plans on a Sunday morning. I look forward to being welcomed back so warmly, um, and getting care packages from my congregation. They would send those. Those are always exciting or a note from someone there was always a good, yeah, a sense of community and relationship is what can really ground or keep any young adult. I think no matter where they're where they're out traveling. I think the hard thing though is then for those of us who have had fairly positive experiences in our home congregations, 
It's when we start to look for another home church and it just is never going to measure up in the same way. These are not people who've known you since birth. These are not your actual relatives. These are, you know, these are fresh new people who might have kind of their roster of friends and people community filled already. And so breaking into a new congregation, I think, is where we lose a lot of young adults. It's It's needing to find a new place in your church after youth group and it's needing to break into a new church after leaving a home congregation. I'm speaking more out of like those who've been raised in the Mennonite Anabaptist church tradition. Yeah. I'd be curious to know what level of pouncing is appropriate. Cause I see that all the time. <laughs> a, a young person comes in. What and, level like, of pouncing? <laughs> everyone just pounces on them. Like <laughs> I, I know. remember this one Sunday we, we had a, uh, we had a potluck after, right? This young person comes in and, and uh, I, th- I thought it would be enough just to get them to join the potluck, invite them mm. to the potluck and, 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 and uh, you know, have them stay and get to know people. And they did, right? Someone invited them to stay and, and they stayed. But by the end, you know, they were being asked whether they wanted to commit to our trip to Cross Lake in the summer. Oh, my you word. Know, joining young adult group and being involved. On, like, it was like, whoa. God. And... Uh, I mean, that person uh, ended up moving away. So I don't know if it was they didn't come back because they moved away or because <laughs> too mm. much pouncing. But uh, but then there's not enough pouncing, right? Like, yes, you know, I think one of the biggest things as a young adult would have been for me. And what I hear from some of my young adults here in Ottawa, too, is that like hospitality, being invited to share in a meal. Yeah. That is so, so yeah. huge for them, especially you think you're a student, you're like, you know, your grocery bill, like, budget is pretty low, and you're eating in the cafeteria, and it's, like, kind of sterile, and the food is cruddy, and, you know, to be invited to a home for, like, a homemade meal, like, you know, when we let young adults come week after week after week and don't do anything like that, then that's not enough pouncing, as you Mm -hmm. might say. (laughs) So there there is a fine line in how do we encourage and orientate our churches to, like, what is the the right amount, right? We're not going to get it perfect, and all of our churches have young adults who can tell stories how we didn't get it perfect, right? We should, we should name this episode Precision Pouncing. Yeah, <laughs> with just the right amount of bounce. <laughs> well, Moses and Ryan, it's been great chatting with you. And even though we are not young adults any longer, um, for some of us, it was more recent than others. But I think we still have a lot of good <laughs> thoughts and ideas around that. And I know as pastors, we're always trying to think about like how to serve the young people. And so I'm so grateful that... There are folks in the Midnight Church really thinking about that and putting time into it, such as Jesse and ourselves. Well, thank you for listening to The Meadowcast. You can find us at themeadowcast.com. Listen to episodes on our website or subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review if you liked what you heard and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Meadowcast. We would love to hear from you if you have comments, questions, or suggestions. You can contact us through our website or at themenocast at gmail.com. We would also like to thank Common Word for partnering with us to give away some awesome resources and our advisory committee for guiding us along the way. Lastly, I want to thank my co-hosts Ryan Duick and Moses Felko for the in-depth conversation. Until next time.